Have the Clippers slid back to earth? Does Doc Rivers even check lineup data? Will the Clips make a trade to solidify their roster? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I am pleased to have friend of the breakdown, Jovan Buha, who is the Clippers beat writer for The Athletic, and a guy who's been around the B-Ball Breakdown hemisphere for a long time and has been on the show. So, Jovan, thanks for coming back on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Coach. Awesome. Well, I think we should talk about the Clippers since that is your purview. Is that that safe to say? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the Clippers. Um, A surprising start to the season, and they've kind of hit some hard times over the last perhaps 10 games. They're four and six. And I kind of want to do a jump off point here where I'm looking at some of the numbers, and I notice in the last 10 games, their offensive rating has plummeted to 20th in the league in those games. Why? So recently, you know, specifically the last uh, now three games, Daniil Gallinari has been out. And for all the kind of attention and admiration Tobias Harris has gotten as a potential all-star this season, uh, Gallo has actually probably been their, their most important offensive player. Um, just kind of the, the spacing, the, the playmaking, the efficiency, uh, you know, has, has been really key for their offense. Uh, during that stretch also, you know, Lou Williams missed a couple games. So I think recently that that's kind of been what what's kind of hampered the team but overall like you know like you said they're, they're four and six in their last 10 but you know the, the six of those losses actually came in their last eight games so like this really recent stretch has been tough for them uh you know they went from like a, a month ago they, they were number one in the west at, at this point or you know maybe like five weeks ago they're number one in the west uh they've slowly been uh you know falling down the standings that kind of went to that four or five range and now they're barely hanging on at eight. So, um, you know, luckily for them, they have the third easiest schedule the rest of the way, according to most, uh, you know, strength, the schedule metrics. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the offense has, has really plummeted, like you said, and, and, you know, their defense has been terrible. They, they've been a bottom three defense for about seven weeks now. So, you know, combine, uh, you know, bad offense with really, really bad defense and you're going to lose a bunch of games. So I, I think the Clippers kind of, are going to benefit their next three games are against the Bulls, the Kings, and the Hawks. Uh, so those are you know potentially three wins that can kind of get them back on track. But uh, you know this team has not been playing well. Um, you know, and, and really something I just wrote about that I think has, has been their biggest issue uh, besides the injuries has been uh, the starting lineup, and they have not been able to figure out a, a successful starting lineup yet. Um, their starting lineup has been the worst lineup in the NBA that's played over 200 minutes. And, you know, they continue to roll with that lineup. And you just look at the lineup data, it's just not working. Um, you know, Shea Gilders Alexander and Avery Bradley have, have not worked out well together as a backcourt. Uh, Avery Bradley and, and Marcin Gortat playing together uh, has kind of tanked the team's net rating anytime they're on the court together. So uh, I think they, they got to experiment with something and kind of mix it up because as long as they start, you know, that five sum that they've been starting. Uh, you know, things have, they have like a minus eight net rating on the season, minus 20 over like the past month or so. So like, it's been really tough with that starting lineup. Well, okay. A lot to unpack there. So let's go with, um, okay. The starting lineups, you know, there have been times over the course of my career covering the NBA and interactions with NBA coaches where it sometimes has been clear to me 
that they don't really look at lineup data at five man yeah. net ratings and that kind of stuff. They don't seem to get it. Um, do the Clippers coaches know about their starting lineup issues? <laughs> that's a, you know, that's a great question. Um, Doc has, has referenced that in, in his press conferences of, you know, you guys is in like, uh, you know, the reporters, analysts, whatever, um, look at lineup data way more than we do. Uh, but, uh, so he's like, you know, no coach looks at it as much as you guys look at it or, you know, think about it the same way you guys think about it. So I, I would guess not. Like I, I know from talking to people around the team, like there have been people who've brought it up to, to the coaching staff. Um, there are definitely people around the team that are aware of it. Uh, I, I just think they, and I'm actually interested to get your, you know, your, your perspective on this because they have this weird situation where Montrez Harrell is by far their best center. Like he, he is, you know, eons better than, than Gortat and Boban. And all the lineup data supports that. The eye test supports that. Like Montrez Harrell is, you know, you know, six man of the year candidate, most improved player candidate. Like he, he's been really, really good for the Clippers. And most games he's, he's closing at center for them. Mm-hmm. But for whatever, you know, he's only six foot eight. Uh, he, he has a bad tendency of getting into foul trouble against bigger players, you know, most starting centers. So the team prefers him off of the bench, but he's still getting like 26 to 30 minutes every night. The issue is that Marcin Gortat is barely a rotation player at this point. Uh, you know, I, I think on not, you know 29 of the other teams in the league would not be starting at center. Um, and, and Boban, as we've seen, can really only play in certain matchups. You know, teams right. that like to get out in transition or run a lot of pick and roll, like they will attack Boban and kind of run him off the court. And, and that's what's happened recently as he's kind of fallen out of the rotation. So... I just wonder from your perspective and experience, like, you know, what do you kind of do in this situation where you have a backup that's so much better than, than the two kind of starting candidates, but you know, it's like, you know, the Clippers also want to preserve their bench and, and, you know, the bench lineup with, with Trez and Lou Williams specifically has been really, really productive. But, you know, I I kind of just wrote, like, I think they have to start Trez because at, at some point you can't start, first and third quarters with like, you know, a six point deficit an eight point deficit like that, you know, that's going to add up. So I don't really know what the answer is, but I do think at some point they really have to entertain starting Montrez Harrell despite his limitations, just because he's so much better than the other two alternatives. Okay. Well, yeah, for sure. So here's the thing. Uh, we know that Doc has a penchant for wanting players that did well against his teams in the past. Yeah. <laughs> so we should look up, you know, whether uh, Martin Gortat has done something amazing when he was with the Wizards or something. <laughs> um, I can see how a coach would look at Gortat and, like, think, and then also, if you're remind, remembering his career in the past, like good hands, you know, nice touch, big, tough, sets good screens. Like I could see why, okay, there's that traditional big man starting center. But we're not in that, that era anymore. And either way, it, what you had said, like it's the, the, the data is in. It's not working, and he's not playing well anyway. So I would agree. Now, the argument against Montrez starting would be that he's obviously dominating against the second units. So that's probably why he's, he's doing so well versus he wouldn't do so well against the starting centers. Um, I, I just don't know as far as, you know, if you look across the Western Conference, I mean, there are some starting centers that are big and that can post up. That would probably cause some problems. So that would be an issue. Like you think about Jokic, I suppose, and you think about who am I missing, Boogie now. Um you know, but there's not that many, and I feel like you might be able to get a, get away with it on the other end too, because he is quicker and, and more mobile than those guys, and he's tough as nails. 
full disclosure, Montrez is on my favorite players list, uh, of which I'm going to do a video. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that your point is is spot on. At this point, no matter what, anybody needs to try and start, even if it's Boban, should try and start versus um, what they got what they got going now. Now, the Avery Bradley slander is really yeah. high and thick on Twitter. I mean, is it only me that hearing it, or are you hearing it too? Oh, no. Like, I, I've... It's cooled off a little bit lately because he's been shooting the ball better. And I think like especially the month of January, uh, he's been shooting like just under 40 percent on threes, which has been a welcomed. Uh, you know, addition from when he was shooting under 30% from three for the first like two thirds of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think the thing with Avery and, and, and I think that's what complicates the center situation. Cause to me, just, you know, as someone who, who's watched this team from the first day of training camp, uh, you know, been to like 90% of their games, uh, watch them pretty much as closely as anybody. Like I, I do think, you know, the starting lineup has clearly been unproductive and the two additions I would make would be, Starting Montrez Harrell, uh, you know, for Gortat and putting in Patrick Beverly for Avery Bradley. Uh, I think as currently, uh, you know, things stand, the Clippers are putting a lot of pressure on Shea Gilgis Alexander to be the primary ball handler, the primary facilitator and creator out there. And while I think he eventually will will get to that point where he could probably shoulder that burden, he can't currently do that. And that's where I think Avery Bradley is kind of a limiting backcourt mate for him because Avery really is a guy who's only gonna spot up come off pin downs, you know, might back cut sometimes. But for the most part, he's kind of a limited offensive player who who really is dependent on other guys creating for him. So I think Patrick Beverly, while, you know, he's not necessarily a traditional point guard, he is capable of secondary ball handling, secondary playmaking. And I think he would complement Shea better and all the lineup data supports that. So the issue is that Doc loves Avery Bradley. And all season, you know, I was the first person to kind of bring it up in a press conference. He quickly shot me down as if I was crazy Multiple people have brought it up since me. Uh, and anytime Avery gets brought up, he almost gets defensive and even a little bit like angry and, and kind of has an aggressive response to it where, you know, he's kind of like, you know, you guys don't understand how good he is defensively. And our defensive numbers suggest that, you know, he's one of the top defenders in the league and, you know, he, he's not out there for his offense and blah, blah, blah. But I think as we all know, like in the modern NBA, you know, unless you're like an elite, elite defender, you know, all defense type guy, if you can't shoot or, or play make or, or do something offensively, it's really hard to play you, especially as a perimeter player. So I think that's where Avery's kind of been is he, he's been a solid defender. He, he's been good on ball for, for most of the season, but I think off the ball, he's slipped a lot, you know, he gets beat back door. He gives up offensive rebounds. And, and, you know, if he's not an elite defender offensively, he's been horrible. Like, you know, uh, ESPN's offensive RPM has had him as a bottom five, uh, NBA player offensively all season. And that's out of like 470 players. So, wow. uh, you know, he's been a huge negative offensively. Well, for what it's worth, he is shooting 41% from three on 4.4 attempts over the last 10 games. So that's the biggest part of his role on offense that he should be doing. And he's doing yeah. it. I always liked his tenaciousness on defense, but I, you know what? I got to get my, my, my defensive cap back on and really watch some of Avery Bradley to see if it catches my eye because it's a little bit surprising when you're talking about him out there uh, being a, uh, an issue defensively. But here's the other thing that I think uh, is interesting. You know, in a, in, a, in a normal world, for a team that wants to compete for the, you know, let's just say they're competing for the fifth spot in the, in the West or whatever, yeah. Shea Gilgis-Alexander would be a guy coming off the bench as a rookie and playing like 20 minutes a game. They're really grooming him. He's getting good experience, but he's not starting. He's not that stuff. 
So I don't know if they're kind of getting away with having him there and like finding out that maybe this is not exactly the role with the starters. Now he's only, he's playing less than 25 minutes a game the last 10 games. So it's not like he's overplaying, but what do you think about that? As far as, you know, should, should he be getting such a, you know, so much of a burden on him so early? Well, and, and that's why I actually suggested um, in that piece, I, you know, not to keep <laughs> plugging that piece, oh, but like, plug away. Uh, um, you know, I, I actually think what, what's probably going to happen or maybe should happen is actually benching Shea and putting Pat in the starting lineup. Cause Pat is actually, you know, Pat and Avery both started struggling and that was why, um, you know, ultimately the Clippers made a starting change was, you know, Avery and Pat were the, were the two starters heading into the season. Avery got injured. Doc inserted Shea into the starting lineup. And the Clippers actually played like uh, arguably their best basketball of the season with Avery out of the lineup. They went four and two, including wins over the Warriors and Bucks. And, uh, you know, they're they playing really well. Then Avery returned. And instead of bringing him off the bench, Doc inserted him into the starting lineup for Pat and has rolled with that uh, Avery and Shea uh, backcourt. But I think if you're looking at like that, those three guys as kind of the, the two starting options. If you're saying Avery is the lock, I think Pat makes more sense alongside him uh, just because, you know, the, the, the line of data that supported that more. And, you know, like you're saying, like, I don't think Shea, you know, Shea's kind of hit the rookie wall uh, two, three times over the past couple months uh, where he's just really struggled. You know, he'll have games where he's like one for four from the mm-hmm. floor. You don't even really notice him out there, um, you know, one or two assists. Like, and he just kind of can disappear offensively, which is totally normal. Like he, he's 20 years old. Uh, you know, this is, is for, you know rookie season. He's being thrust onto this team that's trying to make the playoffs and, and playing, you know, 25 plus minutes a night like that. That's tough. Like, look, look at all the other top rookies. They're all, you know, for the most part, playing on teams in the lottery or, or that will probably end up in the lottery. Um, you know, Shea is one of the few guys that was a lottery pick that's actually playing on a team with playoff aspirations. So I think, you know, from that perspective, he's probably already ahead of the curve. But, you know, he does have a tendency uh, you know, he's, he can be a little passive offensively. You know, he'll, he'll pass up open threes. Uh, he'll pass up jumpers out of, you know, pick and roll. And, uh, you know, I, I think he also is still kind of figuring out his timing offensively with just kind of making reads, delivering passes, kind of driving kicks and stuff like that. So I, I think from that perspective, like he probably is better suited coming off the bench, but the Clippers have just preferred to start him because uh, he's one of the few guys that can actually penetrate on this team. Uh, but to your point, like, I, I, I think that, you know, there probably will come a point where if this team doesn't make the playoffs or kind of gets eliminated, they'll probably just start playing him 30 to 35 minutes. And, and maybe that's when you bench Avery and Pat and just roll with their younger guys. But uh, I think Shea overall has been impressive. Um, you know, he has this kind of calmness and poise that most rookies don't have, especially at the point guard position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that kind of speaks to Sam Cassell's, you know, development of him and kind of taking him under his wing. But, uh, you know, overall, I've been impressed by Shea, but I do think that with kind of the way he's slipped recently, um, you know, he's played a little better the past couple games, but for the most part, uh, it's trending towards, I I think Pat's probably going to replace him in the starting lineup. Yes. Okay. I would would agree. And that's unfortunate. It has to be, um, it it has to be him and not Avery Bradley, because yeah, clearly it's an eight point swing when Bradley's playing versus when he's off. 
yeah. and that really hurts them. And it's, you know, again, and like I mentioned with uh, Gortat, like Bradley's another one of those guys where, like, from a coach's perspective, yeah, like, that's the guy I want. He's a great guy, and he's a good locker room presence, and he really plays hard, And but it's just not working. It is a bit of a bizarre roster when you look overall at, like, what they have. Um, you know, mostly sort of these vets, right, sort of who've been around a long time. Throw in a rookie there. Throw in Montrez, who's like, in a, yeah, he's, he's a vet at this point. He's, what is he, fourth year now? Um, yeah. And so, you know, and he's been around the block. Uh, so it's a strange team. And I almost feel like when you look at it from top to bottom, I mean, unless they got Danilo Gallinari and Tobias Harris, like, going full on all cylinders uh, and healthy, like, they don't, they don't have a chance. Like, other than that, right, this almost feels like a team that would be, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th, when they're looking for a great, great pick in the lottery. Um, you know, so, and then they have Lou Williams coming off the bench. It's just, it's an interesting, it's just a kind of a weird, it's kind of reminds me of like major league, right? <laughs> like yeah. a bunch of these ra- weird players have been around the block so many times and then trying to fit them together. So let me ask you this. Um, what I've noticed about the minutes distribution though, is that nobody really plays heavy minutes outside of like Tobias. Like I can't even say that Danilo gets, he, you know, he, he doesn't play much more than like 30 minutes a game for a starter. It's kind of low. Yeah. So what do you make of that and how he, they like, do they need to play their better players more? Like do a little bit more of a Thibodeau thing? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know if, if it needs to be necessarily to that extent, like the, but you know, to your you know question, like it's been really interesting watching this team's rotation. Like it, it is almost changed night to night, pretty much every night. Like we don't, we never know who's going to be the starting center, like any given night. Like, I mean, Gortat has probably started 60 to 70% of the games, but, you know, he'll start five games in a row and then Doc will go start Boban for two or three games. And then recently he just started, uh, you know, Trez for a couple games. And, you know, I thought, I thought the team played better in, in those two games that he started. But uh, so night to night, like I think part of the, the, the minute allocation has just been so weird that it's kind of messed with the averages where like, you know, Boban – uh, in the games he plays, he's probably playing, you know, more minutes than, may- than maybe Gortat, but he just hasn't played in as many games. So that's kind of messing up the, the distribution. But, to you know, to your point, I, I do think that Tobias can probably play a little bit more. Uh, Gall- I think Gall- with Gallo, he has that, you know, notable injury history. So I, I think the team has just been cautious with him uh, where they don't, just don't want to tax him at this point. You know, he's, uh, I think he's 29 or 30 at this point. So, you know, he's kind of at that age where he's already, you know, just the body starts to break down a little bit. He's already had multiple injuries. Currently, he's going through back spasms and, and is out, uh, you know, won't play tonight. So that'll be his fourth, uh, actually fifth straight missed game. So I think, you know, from that perspective, I kind of get why those two guys haven't played as much. The one that's kind of surprised me has actually been Lou Williams, who was playing 33 minutes a night last year, kind of out of necessity during that career year. And they've kind of lowered him. I believe off the top of my head, he's around like 24, 25 minutes a night. Yeah, so, true. yeah. So from that, like, I still think Lou is, is their best guard overall, I, you know, defensive limitations aside, like the offense really craters, especially down the stretch when Lou Williams is not in there. So Doc has kind of had a weird, uh, you know, he kind of will put him in for offense and, and pull him and, and put Avery or Pat out there and kind of, you know, offense, defense substitutions. But yeah, like at any given night, Doc has kind of gone with the hot hand. There's been nights where someone like a Mike Scott is playing minutes into the fourth quarter and getting 15, 20 minutes. And then the next game, Mike Scott might not play. So uh, Doc really rotates. Like it seems like he has his main seven, eight guys and then guys like nine through 11 
can really change any given night. You know, like he'll throw Milos out there sometimes, or he'll throw Jerome Robinson or Sidarius Stormo, whoever. So uh, I think it's it's really just been an, an you know up and down season in, in terms of rotations and minutes, and, and that's why looking at it from it's kind of minutes per game perspective. Uh, it's all over the place, and you don't really know who's going to play any given night. But the one thing is that Avery Bradley has led the team in, in backcourt minutes. And, uh, you know, if you just look at all the lineup data, like the team I think is around like a minus five, minus six with, with, with Avery out there. Uh, so, like, that, that's just not working. And I think they've had to make up for the, for those minutes with the other 18 minutes or so, the benches out there. And uh, it's been it's been a lot to ask from the bench. For sure. I mean, I, I think you, we, someone's going to have to get in there and implore him to really look at more of the lineup data just because there are there is evidence with, you know, enough numbers here. Like, you know, I'm looking at the lineup data right now in 22 games, which is like half. It's it's and it's up there as far as the you know, the the most any of the five man lines to play together is 29 games. That's the starters we mentioned. So for 22 games, 80 minutes, which is a lot. Uh, it's a plus 22. This lineup, Patrick Beverly, Danilo Gallinari, Montrez Harrell, Tobias Harris, and Lou Williams. It must be like that's the down the stretch. Uh, yeah, right? that's our closing lineup. Yeah. yeah. And it's like they're blowing teams out. And it's almost like maybe you should find, you know, a stretch in the second quarter to play them together as well. I mean, and he could be doing that, but it seems like it's not enough. You know, when, when you see those kind of lineups and you, you say, like, why isn't that more impactful or, or having more minutes? Uh, you want to hear another one that's interesting that has even more minutes than that lineup? Yeah. Patrick Beverly, Montrez, Mike Scott, Tyrone Wallace, friend of the breakdown, and Lou Williams is 18.6. They're like doing a blowout, and they have 116 minutes together over the last uh, in 19 games. Now, that's an interesting lineup, too, because I can't in my mind's eye even picture them on the floor together, but it's a lot of minutes. Yeah, so that, that's been their main bench lineup lately. Uh, you know, Lou missed some games. Uh, they inserted Trez into the starting lineup. Uh, for a little bit. And then uh, Mike Scott has, has been in and out of the rotation lately because really when he's not shooting well, which he has actually not shot that well this season, um, he's not providing much. You know, he's, he's not really a defender. He's not a great rebounder. He's not really a playmaker or passer from like the high post, not, you know, not going to like screen and roll and stuff. So he's kind of only served as a spot up shooter for them. And when he's not making shots, Doc will just kind of quickly pull him out of the game. Uh, but I think this also speaks to a, a more interesting, you know, philosophical co- like coaching question, which is stat, you know, kind of staggering versus having your two units. Because Doc um, has always been, at least in LA, uh, from from when I've covered him, kind of when he, from when he first got here, uh, he's always been a two-unit guy. And I think there's pros and cons to, to both, you know, having your two separate units versus staggering or kind of mixing the starters and bench, but. I think that in this case, it has kind of caused a lot of problems where, you know, Doc has had his like, all right, well, we need to keep Trez and Lou with one lineup and we need to kind of keep like Tobias and Gallo with another lineup as those are their four primary scores. I think you got to mix and match it a little bit more. And to his credit, he's done it a little bit recently where he'll keep Tobias or Gallo with the bench for a little bit. But I just think that Doc can probably stagger it a little bit better where, you know, you don't need to have, uh, you know, two separate units, especially when you have a, a team like this that's so deep that that can kind of, I think you could just mix and match and, and kind of go against your opponent based on, you know, their strengths or weaknesses better uh, versus just saying, all right, here's our starters, here's our five bench players, and we're going to keep these two kind of separate because I think it, it has created a lot of issues 
more so in the starting lineup than, than the bench. That you know the benches are really good, but I think at some point you got to stop sacrificing to kind of have this great bench unit to, to kind of bolster your starting lineup. So I don't know how you feel about that, but I do think there is something to um, you know when you have a really deep team, you can probably integrate those pieces a little bit better than just keeping them separate. For sure, and and by the way, the the way he's doing it can work, but it's not, and that's I think the whole point here. And you know what? It's early enough in the season where by the halfway point where. It's time. So hopefully the little things you're seeing now are the beginning of something else that's going to ultimately, you know, turn around that starting lineup. He's going to have to do something more major than like maybe I don't, I, the Shea stuff, you know, putting him on the bench because he won't bench Avery Bradley. Uh, who knows? That might do it anyway. But um, it, it's the whole the whole point about, you know, when you're coaching is you can get the all the X's and O's down and be, you know, understand how to do that. You can even understand how to communicate with players really well too and motivate but there's almost no direction and no way to study, you know, the alchemy that is five-man lineups, except for the fact that after enough games, you can just look at the numbers and it'll tell you a lot. Even though people would want to say, oh, it's context and who are they playing and it's small sample size. I don't think it is at this point. And so, yeah, he needs to do something. And so we'll have to keep our eye on what that's going to be. Do you think they're going to do anything with a trade to kind of upgrade their roster? Uh, so I just uh, wrote a piece about that last night and from everything i've been told the clippers will be entering the deadline as both a buyer and a seller which is kind of interesting because we're at this weird point in in the trade season where there's really only like six teams that are looking to be sellers and and those are the you know the bottom six teams in the league which off the top of my head like the the suns the grizzlies the hawks the knicks the bulls and the Cavs. like those six teams are pretty much the only six teams that are, you know, eliminated from playoff contention at this point. Those teams are trying to sell off assets and players and stuff, but the other 24 teams are kind of all trying to make the playoffs and, and, you know, all to varying degrees kind of have a shot at at making the postseason. So I, you know, the Clippers are in an interesting spot because they have so many expiring uh, contracts, you know, pretty much like two thirds uh, of this team, almost three quarters of this team is going to be free agents next uh, summer. So they do have, you know, veteran pieces that if a team is desperate enough to make the playoffs, you know, a team like an Orlando, a Detroit, a Charlotte, um, you know, Brooklyn that that's trying to make the postseason and, you know, can get a lot of value just from having a first round exit. Uh, I think the Clippers have some pieces, you know, like a Patrick Beverly and Avery Bradley, uh, a Gortat, a Boban, uh, like, you know, a Mike Scott, one of the, like those guys can be playoff contributors, you know, maybe not starters the way that some of them are on the Clippers, but, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth guys on, on a, you know, a shallow kind of roster. So wait, wait, I do, do that list for me one more time after Boban. Uh, Mike Scott. So Avery, Pat, Gortat, Mike Scott, Boban. Uh, th- those are kind of the five guys. Like the sixth guy would be Luke Mbamute, but he's missed, you know, the last 44 games uh, with a, a sore left knee which is its own story. Uh, it's been a weird situation where he, he's been day to day for over three months. And I, I, you know, I can't remember the last time a guy was listed day to day for, for three months. That's interesting. You know, if his name was Markel Fultz, it'd be a bigger deal, but um, right. You know, it, it just seems like he, he's had some setbacks and every time he's close to returning, he has a setback and uh, it's been frustrating for him. But uh, I think the team is desperately missing Luke because really their all their defenses come from Avery Bradley and Patrick Beverly uh you know on the perimeter so I think adding Luke Mbamute would help a lot but uh like so from you know go back to the Clippers at the deadline like I think you know it seems like 
their focus really is the 2019 offseason. You know, we all know they're going after Kawhi, they're going after KD, they're going after Jimmy Butler. Uh, so they're, you know, ideally not going to take on money at the deadline. If anything, it would probably be selling off pieces. But at the same time, from, from what I've been told, like they are interested in, in buying if it's the right deal. So, you know, looking at a couple of their value, uh, you know, acquisitions recently, like extending Lou Williams to a three-year, $24 million deal. That's definitely below market. Like uh, Lou Williams could have, you know, entered free agency, probably gotten 12 to 15 million a year for, for maybe, maybe only two years, but you know, he could have gotten the same amount of money over two years, if not a little bit more. Uh, Montrez Harrell signed a two year, 12 million deal. You know, look, look at that. You know, that's a crazy bargain for the way he's been playing. Like he could easily, you know, have probably gotten a eight to $12 million deal uh, on the open market, you know, had the, the Clippers not had his restricted rights. So, uh, I think that, you know, looking at those types of deals, if the Clippers can get a bargain player at a, you know, sub $10 million, uh, you know, annually value, I think that they might do that. But, you know, for the most part, they're looking at 2019 offseason. They're trying to get a star to uh, to kind of go with, with the current infrastructure that they have. And I think that's really their focus. But um, they, they can be a player. They can swing things, I think, at the deadline because they do have some assets I mean, really, the elephant in the room is, is Gallo because Gallo, you know, will be a $20 million expiring deal next season. Uh, and, you know, I, I think we'll see what kind of happens with his health over the next few weeks. But, uh, you know, he's had a really good season. He's had a borderline all-star season. He's probably had, frankly, the best season of his career. And, you know, Gallo on an expiring deal at $20 million, like, there's a bit of a steep price, but he's probably worth that production-wise if healthy. Oh, okay. Well, here are the answers. They definitely should trade him, uh, Gallinari, if they can and get a good deal for him, without question. I mean, he's great and he helps him, but you cannot rely on that guy. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I like him. I think he's great, but I, I, don't, I just don't think. I think if they could get some good assets back from him, for sure do that. Um, if, it, if it matter, if it means if he, could, I guess what their hope is, if he could get healthy again and play, you know, the rest of this year or whatever, uh, healthy, then he would be a part of a package. Of a, well, they don't really do signing trades these days, but you know, maybe that would be something they would need to to get that star player. I don't know. I'm not GM, but um, he would be the guy for sure. Uh, I mean, other than you know, you want if you if you want to bring a KD, you want to bring a Kawhi, then the, the, I think the pieces you need to have. Are, you know, Lou Williams, I think Shea is a nice piece of that. Tobias is perfect for that. Um, and, and Patrick Beverly is perfect for that. And other than that, it's like anybody else they want or you can get any mileage out of, please. Uh, are they going to trade Tadosic, my favorite player? <laughs> that, that, that's the guy I would say is the most likely to get moved. Or is he just going to go back uh, to Europe? So that, that, that's been the thing is that it's been this weird situation where, you know, I, I feel bad for the, the guy because – he came here as, you know, most people were considering him the, the best player in Europe, you know, not in the NBA. And, uh, you know, he came here last season. He started. He played well. And then five games into the season, uh, he, he suffered a, you know, a significant injury that kept him out for a few months. Then he came back and just kind of wasn't the same and, you know, didn't have the same role in the team and, and kind of, you know, had lost his position with, with Lou Williams, you know, the Clippers traded you know, for, for Lou and they just had some new pieces, you know, Tobias and it, it just didn't really fit with Milos this season. It was kind of looking like, all right, well, you know, maybe he'll start, but probably he'll be, he'll be kind of the primary backup behind Patrick Beverly uh, and kind of running the second unit offense. And then Shea just kind of out of the gate, uh, you know, was very impressive. 
uh, the coaching staff really spoke highly of him from, from day one at training camp. And Shea really took that backup spot from Milos. So, uh, you know, from from almost the first preseason game, like Milos saw himself as third on the depth chart. Uh, and I, I think for someone like him, you know, 30 year old, uh, has been a star overseas, uh, you know, has had a lot of success in international competition with Serbia. Like he does not see himself, you know, he didn't come to America to the NBA to, to be a, a third string point guard. And I think there clearly are teams out there that could use him like the Orlando Magic, the Phoenix Suns, even maybe the Spurs. Now the Wizards that John Wall's out. Like there are there are several teams that could use a point guard upgrade uh, that I think you make a lot of sense for. Uh, so from from what I've been told and what I reported uh, last night in, in my trade deadline piece, uh, the Clippers do not have any interest in waiving Teodosic. You know because he he's given a couple interviews to international outlets where he suggested he's not happy. Uh, you know he, it's been a big adjustment for him and he is open. You know. Pretty much said, like, after he's done with his NBA contract, he's going back to Europe. But he'd even be happy going back to Europe this season. And from what I've been told, the Clippers have no interest in waiving him and in giving him that full, like, I think he's making about $6.2 million. They're, they're not going to waive him, you know, pay him out that six point two and, and let him go back to Europe. They, they have no interest in that. They view him as, like, the ultimate point guard insurance. Like, you know, he's probably the best third-string point guard in the league, but by a wide margin. Uh, so... You know, they view him as a valuable asset. They do not want to trade, you know, waive him in that you know, capacity. If he's willing to take a buyout and, and accept less money or they find a trade partner, I think they will entertain both of those options. So that is something to watch over the next two weeks is, you know, maybe a team like Washington who really wants to make the postseason makes an offer for Tia Dosich or, or, you know, the Spurs kind of want to, you know, add a point guard to the rotation or, you know, or Orlando, Orlando is another desperate playoff team that, that, you know, might look for a point guard upgrade. So if one of those teams reaches out and they can come to some type of agreement, I could see Teodosic being moved. Uh, but otherwise, I, I would probably bet on them eventually just buying him out later in the season and him going back to Europe. Uh, I'd be surprised if he finished the season with the Clippers. Uh, I'd probably put it around like 70%. He doesn't. But there is still that chance that, you know, maybe someone gets injured or, or Doc just changes his mind and puts him back in the rotation and kind of, you know, patches things together for the rest of the year. But I would probably be surprised if Teodosic is a Clipper in mid-April. Yeah, I'm, I'm staring at the Rock at the uh, Spurs roster, just trying to figure out who they could trade him for, and you know, I just nothing's really standing out. Like Derek White, another player who's uh, on my favorite players list, maybe that would be something. But right now, the way since Teodosic isn't even playing, I don't know why the Spurs would even do that. Even though, you know, uh, I don't know. So that's that's a tough one. But he deserves an, another shot. I I I, I believe. And, um, you know, that, and I, I just feel like because the Sergio Rodriguez not doing so well and Ted is not doing well, that means like Yui will never come. And that's going to be the, my biggest bummer because I would have loved to have seen him in the NBA. And uh, anyway, well, we'll have to see what happens with that. And we'll check back in with you later, Yoban, in the season to see how uh, the predictions came about. But thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Nick. You got, you got it. Well, and don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Yoban? Of course. <laughs>